so yes, it, it's it's very well suited for for geographic questions. When it comes to displaying stuff in the web, well, the web is the future of programming still, I think. So a lot of things have moved into the web and the web is built upon HTML and HTML has one super first class uh, programming language and this is JavaScript. So I think it's a very good fit to answer geographic questions when they come to the web with JavaScript. Welcome to the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Mark Jensen. He is a member of the Open Layers Project Steering Committee. He's also a core committer to the project. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about a really incredible open source geospatial JavaScript library called Open Layers. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much to OSGO for helping make this podcast episode possible. I really appreciate your support. Hey, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to, to do this inter- interview with me. Today we're going to be talking about open layers and we're going to be talking about JavaScript and because this is a geospatial podcast, it's got something to do with, with geospatial. So I think before we, we get started on open layers JavaScript, perhaps you could just let the listeners know how it is that you got involved with the open layers project, how you got involved with, with geospatial. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. My name is Mark. Uh, I'm an Open Layers core contributor and member of the Project Steering Committee. Well, how did I start to get involved in geospatial open layers? Um, well, I studied geography, geology, and urban development, and uh, I had to do an internship at some point in my studies, and I picked a small local GIS company. I met super interesting and inspiring people, and well, this is how I got into it. And I first got into contact with Open Layers, that library that we are going to talk about probably in 2006 or 7. Well, and then my first contribution to that uh, library was very well received by those people that I only knew from, from reading internet. And back in the days, it wasn't as easy to contribute as it is today. I got some very encouraging review. I mean, Tim Schaub, who felt like a rock star to me, called it a model contribution, but it was just some small thing. He accepted the patch, which was very cool. Well, and then some other contributor reverted it and removed the code again, which was funny and a bit discouraging. But on second side, it also showed some very high quality standards and open discourse, rethinking stuff that someone else has done. This all felt like a very good thing to work on. Just out of curiosity, before before we dive a little bit deeper in, into that, into open layers, um, were you a programmer before? Like, did you have some sort of uh, official sort of education in computer programming? No, I'm, I didn't do any uh, formal education in programming or computer science, but I was, um, well, I'm self-taught, so to say. So I did um, homepages during the studies and I got in contact with all the, well, the building blocks also of open layers. And in that internship uh, at that GIS company, basically from day on, they would throw something at me with my basic small knowledge. And then I had uh, the time and cool people around me that uh, helped me to get started. But I'm, yeah, self-taught. 
I'm really pleased that you shared that with us because I think it gives hope to a lot of people that that have sort of an aspiration to to learn a programming language. It feels like a pretty big mountain to climb, but I mean, if you can do it just by reading the internet, figuring it out, and become a core contributor to something like OpenLayers, I think there's um, yeah, I think it gives a lot of hope for people. Yeah, uh, if I and you're totally right. If I can do it, because I'm not at all the smartest person on the planet, uh, then well, basically a lot of people can do it uh, if you take your time. Please don't take this as any sort of criticism. That's not no, where no. I was going with no, no, that. No. But I, I just think that you know sometimes it feels like it's out of reach. So some programming languages, or because the technical standard is very high. And when, when I talk to a lot of people involved in the in the open source world, I mean, some of the things they're doing is is simply amazing, and it feels like it would be difficult to get involved. There are a lot of amazing both people and code out there. I totally agree with that. But uh, once you get to look into the code, it's all just, you know, like text files. You have to, to play around with it and then you will be able to contribute somewhere. And I know that there is great code out there, but at least the same amount of bad code is out there and small things that need enhancements and things that... Basically, everybody can do as soon as they, you know, like get the basics done. I think, too, there's a lot to be said for a fresh perspective as well. Um, so we've jumped in a little bit deep here, perhaps. Um, could we back up a few steps and, and maybe could you give us a brief overview of what JavaScript is? Yeah, so JavaScript is a fully grown up programming language. It runs both on the client, we say. Uh, so for example, when you visit some of these modern websites where you can edit documents, text documents or spreadsheets on the web, then JavaScript does a lot of the heavy work that helps you, you know, like color cells based on some value and stuff like that. Uh, that's something that JavaScript does, but it's also running on pretty much every device that that uh, yeah exists so it's it's not only running in browsers in the client it's also running on servers and it's used by millions of people it's a very fun language it has evolved a lot over the last let's say decade it started out as a bit of a an experiment or it has nothing to do with java except for the name and some some syntax it's uh, it's derived uh, it derived from java um, it's a very, very cool language. It's cool to start with. Well, if you have never programmed before, JavaScript is a very good choice to start with. And it's also a very good choice to continue your complete professional future with because it's it's also still growing and there's a lot of people earning their money and solving their problems with JavaScript. So, so you mentioned there that it's a... Um client side and a server side I think a lot of people listening to the podcast will understand that JavaScript you know runs in, in web clients we're used to seeing it of course in something like open layers you know on these these slippy maps on the web dynamic maps dynamic websites that kind of thing and um, where might we meet JavaScript apart from in the web browser well if you want to <clears throat> excuse me if you want to see JavaScript apart from on the client then you'll have to dig a bit deeper. So uh, JavaScript can be used to run on a server to produce dynamic maps. So the thing that usually if you're, you probably have heard about something called PHP, 
That's something that's used on many servers to produce dynamic sites, to query databases and to um, produce websites that are not um, statically written once, but that are able to fetch content from somewhere else and then present it to the user. You can do this with PHP, as I mentioned. You can do it with a lot of other languages and you can also do it with JavaScript. And then in that case, JavaScript is running on some other computer in uh, the internet. It's not running on your machine basically in that case. It can also be used to, well, coming back to the topic, this geospatial thing, uh, yeah, to solve geospatial problems on the server so it can make use of, of um, yeah, the resources that are on that big machines that are called servers. The, the topic of the conversation today is open layers, and I think you've done a great job of sort of giving us a brief understanding of what JavaScript is, where we might find it, and I think we'll probably go into a few more details later on. But, but maybe now we could, we could start on open layers. What is open layers? Well, of course, I was uh, prepared that you will ask me that. <laughs> um, so I looked it up on the website um, to give the con most concise uh, definition. So a high-performance feature-packed library for all your mapping needs. That's what we write on our homepage, and that's what it is. So it's an open-source JavaScript library that helps its users to create stunning and fast and feature-rich uh, maps, and you can put them on any web page. Okay, so if, if we think about it in terms of, uh, break it down into, into two sides here, and think about it in terms of visualization, so that platform where we, where we perhaps combine a whole bunch of different services, bit, uh, bits of data, and, and visualize them, um, and perhaps we can look at it in terms of any sort of analysis functionality that might be available. Could, could we start with the visualization piece? What can we do in, in open layers in terms of visualizing data? That's basically where it all started with open layers. So it has this layers in its name. Uh, so open layers is capable of reading a lot of different data formats that exist uh, that uh, have some geospatial part. So it starts with some simple GeoJSON file that contains some vector data, probably some points that have some attributes. Uh, it can also read and display KML, something that you may have heard, or GML, that's more specific formats now. But it can also fetch pre-rendered tiles. So, for example, OpenStreetMap produces great tiles of their database, um, which basically can help you to create a nice background map on, on, your, on your map application. And OpenLayers is able to combine all these different uh, sources and stack them on top of each other so that you get a very flexible solution for your mapping need. So one of the big problems we face with, with geospatial data is it comes in, obviously, a lot of different formats, like you mentioned, but it also comes in a lot of different coordinates. Does OpenLayers do anything to help us out there in terms of stacking and layering data so things land in the right place? Oh, yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, so that's one of the parts. So OpenLayers shines in many, many parts, and I hope to touch some of them during this interview. So projections and the handling of different projections in open layers is outstanding in my perspective. So short, yes. So any data format or any data that you have will, any geospatial data that you have, will have some sort of explicit or implicit specification of where on earth these coordinates are located or how they are to be interpreted. And uh, open layers deals with, let's say, 99% of them, and it does so by some other aspect of open layers uh, by using the great Proy library, Proy4JS in that case, 
which helps it to combine different sources from probably in probably different uh, projections and doesn't only do that for vector data for which it is well easy and also not that that big of an of a of an achievement many libraries do that but it also does it with raster data so vector data is just the raw you know like coordinates like you can read it with with many many things but raster with raster data you basically only get the pixels so if they if you have tiles or geospatial raster data in one geographic projection uh, it's it's it used to be very very hard to combine it with different projected coordinates or data from other sources in the web and open layers has a great way of reprojecting in in case it is needed uh, raster data and vector data to that projection that you give it so it's very good at you know handling different projections raster or vector data so you mentioned that was the proj library that that takes care of that so when i think about open layer should i be thinking about it as a collection of different uh, javascript libraries no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it that way. So JavaScript, well, sorry, Open Layers is it, it shines and has some very strictly defined capabilities. So it, it can read a lot of formats and it can uh, you know like present them on top of each other, and that's just the visualization part. It can also give you a lot of ways to interact with that data. Something we might come back to later, but it also plays very well with other libraries. And when it comes to projections. In not only in the open source world, Troy is basically the de facto standard of doing it. Also in other libraries, it's it's being used. It just you know, Troy has specialized on that, and it's very good in doing that. And Open Layers has some basic ways of handling the two most common projections, and everything that's above that it delegates to the to the real expert, and that is in our case Troy. This brings me a bit back to, to the JavaScript thing in, in general. So that's a very common trend right now so that small micro modules basically exist that do one thing and do it very, very good. And it's with open layers a bit of the same story. So open layers is great at combining sources and make you interact with that. Whenever it becomes too hard or too specialized, then uh, there's very probably a, a very good library that you can use that will help you to fix your specific problem can we stay with that idea of interacting with, with with data and just for a second here so at the moment we we understand that we can visualize lots of different uh, data formats so we can stream them into the, this client if we're thinking about uh, open layers and r running on a web page for example uh, interaction is this built into the library as well what what kind of interactions can can i uh, detect and, and use yeah there's a lot of interactions already built into the library so the most basic ones like zooming in, zooming in and zooming out uh, on, on maps, that's of course uh, included. You can also pinch the map so you rotate it like if you're watching on, if you're looking at a, an open layers map on your mobile device, you can zoom by pinching like you are used it from Google Maps or some other provider. There's that. Then there's of course the, the ways of, you know, like editing data. So I already talked about displaying vector data for example but it's not open layers doesn't stop at displaying it it also gives you the tools to edit it for example so there's ways of for example creating new points um, digitizing new polygons rotating existing polygons so stuff like that uh, so 
basically everything that you can do on any map you have seen in, in the web, you can also do in open layers. You mentioned something interesting there. So if we're working on a mobile device, for example, we can use the, this pinch function. And I think a lot, you know, all of us listening to the podcast will understand how that works. We will have used a map on a mobile device before. But when you're developing this, um, does open layers just sort of detect, okay, I'm running on a mobile device now, therefore this pinch function is available? Because it, it wouldn't... You know, it wouldn't make sense to run on a, on a desktop client, or at least most desktop clients. Yeah, that's an excellent question. So, yes, it does detect whether you're uh, on a mobile phone. But when it comes to that specific thing, it's just that it, well, this is a, probably a bit too detailed and technically, but stop me if it is. So when you put your fingers on the on the map, then, then touch events are registered. That's what, what happens. So your finger touches your, your display at two places, for example. And this is this has been standardized not too long ago. And basically, it's quite easy to, to, to differentiate whether there were two touches, so two fingers, and whether they are moving now to the outside, so the distance between them gets bigger or the distance between them gets smaller, or whether they also rotate something. So this is what, what is happening internally. You said it, it doesn't make too much sense on, on a laptop, but there are laptops out there um, that have touch devices, so uh, that have displays, even bigger ones, uh, with which you can uh, interact by touching them. And there it would work as well. So it, technically it doesn't detect whether you're using a mobile phone because that's quite shaky. Uh, but it detects the capabilities of, of the device that is running your code. And it does that automatically. So if you didn't understand that in all detail, you don't need to. But if you're looking into the source code of the library, then you'll, you'll find it's not too hard. I love that you called it auto magic because that's exactly the way that, that I think of it as well. So, so we've talked about the visualization side of it. We understand now that there's certain actions that we can do. There's um, detections or things that we can detect that the user is trying to do and then create an action based on that. Um, what about the, the analysis functionality of it? Before we talk a little bit about editing, is, is there any sort of like measuring tools? Can we do any sort of in-depth analysis in, uh, in an open layers client? Well, it depends on how you define in-depth, but um, there are very basic ones like the measurement that you have, have already mentioned. So you can draw lines and measure their distance and um, there are utility functions to help you also calculating whether this pixel difference that you got from there uh, do mean. So how many meters are, are, are the two points of some line uh, are apart from each other? That's one thing. There's also... When it comes, for example, to editing, there is the way of snapping one vector to another. But I told you already that OpenLays is very good at concentrating on what is good at. And the analysis part isn't the thing that we have concentrated the most on. There's some basic functionality built into it, but it plays very well with all the other geospatial JavaScript libraries that excel here. But there's one exception to it, which many people do not know about. We already talked about rasters, and there's something in, in open layers that gives you the possibility to analyze raster data that you are seeing. So there's an online example that makes it possible to move some slider on the page and to let the seawater level 
rise and then you can see where the 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 water would be if the sea level would rise by let's say 15 centimeters and um, how many or, or which areas of land would be covered then by by water there's another very great example that shows the basic capabilities or the the building blocks to to create your own analysis functions and that's also an example where the vegetation greenness index is being calculated on some arbitrary raster source. I think that thing uh, just loads in Bing tiles, so basically aerial images, and it has some small formula built into it, how, how to calculate the, the greenness of one spot of the earth. So you move your mouse over the, uh, over the, the, the map and the, the greenness is being calculated on the fly and there's some, some playing around with thresholds. To be honest, this is, um, well, these are, these are examples. The last two are examples, but it shows that the basic building blocks are there inside of open layers to produce basically all sorts of analysis that you can think of, uh, both when it comes to vector data. So there's a way of accessing all the features and to cluster them and to uh, measure distances. But there's also a way of accessing raw pixel data uh, of sources when they allow it so that you can well either analyze it or produce yeah, modeling ideas onto uh, your map. What I understood there is that there's a lot of opportunity to, to extend what, what's already there. So we have the building blocks and then it's kind of up to us as the programmer to decide how we're going to use these building blocks. You, you mentioned that OpenLayers plays nicely with different libraries and earlier in the conversation we talked about this idea that you know, libraries are becoming more and more specialized. They, they, they do one thing really, really well. Is there any particularly interesting libraries that, that you would like to sort of mention that, that work really well with open layers? Well, there's two things that I would like to mention. So since open layers is built in, in JavaScript and it's built in the way that JavaScript should be built when it comes to libraries. So it's built in a way that it can play with basically all the modules that you can, for, for example, find on NPM. And that's a bazillion modules out there that don't all have some geo content or relation, but you can basically play with all of them. Coming back to Geo, there are some of this bazillion uh, libraries uh, I have been using uh, for some time, and they are really, really great. So one is uh, TurfJS, and uh, the other one is JSTS. The latter one is basically a part of the Java topology suite, so it gives you a bunch of ways of, you know, like buffering points. Let's say you have two points, you buffer them each by, let's say, 10 kilometers, then you calculate the intersection of those now polygons, and then you take this uh, intersection and uh, you rotate it around, and then you see how, how big is the area covered or something like that. So it does the standard vector analysis uh, parts very, very well and it plays great with open layers. But there are also a lot of very, very small um, libraries out there. For example, there's one library that I know of that's called ArcJS. I'm not even sure whether it's it's that highly maintained anymore, but it's, it's a very small library that calculates uh, great uh, circles. So you give it two points, basically, uh, San Francisco and Berlin, and it calculates some great arc how you would basically fly there and um, there's also a great example of how open layers and arcjs work together on the official examples page and this is just you know like some of them that you can use to 
create stunning applications with a geographical part where OpenLayers does some parts, some other library does some other parts, and um, all together you are able to create really, really great applications. Now, when we talk about doing some of those uh, analysis there, are we just assuming that we're dealing with 2D data or is, there, is it possible to use 3D data as well in OpenLayers? Well, all, all vector data stuff in uh, open layers is three-dimensional by design. Uh, and back when we started, so right now we're at open layers version six something, um, back when we still had open layers two, so that was in the old ages, we wouldn't only we would only know about two dimensions. And when we started on, on writing open layers three, which was a very big change for the library, we created all the, the basic building blocks when it comes to vector data with three dimensions in our head, basically arbitrary dimensions. So when, when you have some measurement on some point in, in space. So yes, that can be done. When it comes to displaying 3D data, well, there's more dedicated libraries for that. For example, Cesium can be uh, thought of. But um, I'm not sure whether this isn't something that we might be concentrating on in the, let's call it near to distant, near to, to mid-distant future. So because the third dimension, of course, is still very real. And if you give open layers 3D data, it probably won't break, but it also will probably not produce the, the 3D map that you would think of by default. But it plays, as I said, well with, for example, cesium together. So you can uh, then use that to produce awesome 3D maps. What I'm guessing, I, I cannot dictate it or something. Or and also, I don't have any 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 more details on how the future will shape out. But there is a chance that 3D data might become more of a a place directly supported. Also, when it comes to visualization, directly in open layers. But I'm not 100% sure. If we just do a bit of a recap here, we've got this visualization capacity here, like built into open layers, of course. It, it takes care of coordinate systems. It understands how to stack data. We have a lot of actions available to us, so it's a very interactive library. Uh, we have certain uh, analysis that we can do, and we can extend it with these other libraries. Would you consider open layers, or, or say JavaScript in general, to be a, a geospatial language? Well, it's it can be used to to solve geospatial questions, but I wouldn't call well JavaScript is a general purpose language. It's uh, I said it earlier. It's it's really grown up. It can be used to build really every application that can be thought of. There's even a, a law named to it. I think the guy that created Stack Overflow, I think it's Edward. Um, he he had some that's Edward's law, and he stated, pff, let's say back in two thousand and let's say nine, he said, he said, every application that can be built in JavaScript will eventually be uh, built in JavaScript. So yes, JavaScript can be used to build, well, that's my opinion, to build basically any application. I wouldn't say it's naturally the best choice for all the applications. And coming back to, to the original question, for geospatial parts or questions, JavaScript provides a vast amount of libraries that play very well with each other. Not only open layers plays well with, let's say, JSTS, but also JSTS plays well with, let's say, ArcJS. So yes, it, it's it's very well suited for for geographic questions. When it comes to displaying stuff in the web, well, the web is the future of programming still, I think. So a lot of things have moved into the web, and the web is built upon HTML, and HTML has one 
super first class uh, programming language. And this is JavaScript. So I think it's a very good fit to answer geographic questions when they come to the web with JavaScript. So yes. So that was the long answer, of course. The, the short answer is yes. I think you did a really great job answering that question. I realised now that it was perhaps a little bit unfair. It was perhaps a little bit sort of general. But I, I guess what, what I'm sort of building towards is that if, I agree with you. I think that the you know the future of the web or the future of geospatial is the web. I mean, we're doing so much more. It's the way that we deliver data to people you know, en masse, that this is how we're doing it is through the web. And it seems to me that it's really interesting that there's so much focus when we think about uh, geospatial programming languages or languages that we can use to do geospatial analysis with. We often think about Python, we think about R, perhaps Java, C Sharp, those kind of things. And it feels like JavaScript sort of gets left out a little bit. But why do you think that might be? Well, that's an awesome question. So why is why is JavaScript the odd kid? I don't know. So it, it probably has some sort of historical reasons. You know, spatial is special and all that stuff. It's it's still the new kid around. Uh, it's probably the same age as, as Python, but uh, and don't ask me whether it is. Um, but well, Python has a super academic touch to it. You can it's a great programming language, of course. In academia, it's it's very often used and it's it's great for, for questions being answered there. But it also has, of course, other ways that it does. Um, then there's the big applications or, or programs that are, are existing basically since ever, and they are written with older languages often let's say C or something. And they are for a good reason. Well, for many good reasons. First of all, of course, because there weren't that many choices probably at the time. And C, for example, was a very good choice for many of the things. And because the processing that has to happen when, when it comes to geospatial data is very uh, extensive. So it, it's a good choice to be next to the machine let's call let's call it like that. But of course, it has a high entry barrier, let's say. So I told you about my background, and I think I wouldn't have started programming if I were if I had been thrown into some company doing C sharp or C because it, the 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 learning barrier is a bit higher. That's my opinion or my 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 thoughts. While the learning barrier for JavaScript is basically non-existing because you simply open you hit one one um, one thing on your keyboard on any web page and then you can uh, type in some javascript on the right hand side in the console for example and you're already programming and coming back to geospatial geospatial is of course very cool for programming at all because you you see something interesting every time that you program with it so you, of course you can be a great programmer and only interact with databases or do analysis of like crunching numbers that that's that's great and that that's okay but with geospatial of course you get a visual feedback of of stuff you're doing you you can see maps you can see diagrams you can see modeling results which is of course awesome so bringing that together that it makes fun to program on stuff um, that you can actually see and, and that has a real world thing that you can even explain to your mom and dad. Combining that with the, with a very low barrier of learning JavaScript, I think it's, it's a good choice uh, to start with and to, to excel later on. I hope that answers that question. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I think you're doing an amazing job of answering these questions. 
Um, so given that we, we kind of agree that the, the, the web is where a lot of action is going to be happening in terms of geospatial data in the future, so going forward, I mean, I think we can all see that we're getting more and more data and perhaps other languages are better suited to crunch sort of through huge amounts of data. But we, we also need to do something with that data. We need to show probably somebody the results of what we're doing. And if that's happening on the web, JavaScript seems like a really, really good option. W would you sort of encourage people to, to learn JavaScript then? Oh, yes, I would absolutely do that. I, I think the, the future of JavaScript is very bright. As I said, it's, it's super easy to learn. It's not that easy to master, um, to be honest. So you get a very easy start with, with JavaScript. Um, in order to to do to, to take the best out of it and to produce very easy reusable code, you have to put in more. But um, you are getting well rewarded, uh, I think. Um, and this is not to be understood wrongly. I totally think that there are a ton of languages out there which have uh, all pros and cons, as does JavaScript, of course. Um, I think it's just a very good starting point and also it's a very good choice for, for future candidates because I'm pretty sure um, JavaScript will stay for a long time and it will, of course, evolve. Um, there's things like TypeScript. I really love TypeScript, which is basically a superset of JavaScript. Um, so it has everything that JavaScript has, but it has something uh, on top of it. Um, it has great support from editors. It's easy to learn. There's a ton of resources out there. You get very quick feedback. The, the building around JavaScript is awesome. So if you decide on becoming a programmer, I know that Java programming has gotten like really, 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 really cool uh, in the last decade. But, you know, JavaScript has it all. It has, you know, like instant builds. It has uh, hot reloading when you do just one code line change and everything rebuilds. But of course, it doesn't only have, you know, like the, the things that, that are cool. It also has some issues which need to be addressed sooner or later. Uh, so, for example, that 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 many modules come with a with a bunch of problems, of course. So there's this famous thing when somebody does npm install, which is please resolve all my dependencies of my current project, and then the disk gets full because all the tiny libraries add up to let's say 800 uh, megabytes of JavaScript that. Is of course cool to you know like use a lot of small libraries, but it, you can also easily lose your way in, in in that. So all in all, I would say it's a very wise choice to learn JavaScript. It's also very wise for programmers to not concentrate on any language at, or on only one language at all, because they all have different areas where they shine and other areas where they work, but yeah, don't shine, and other areas where they say. Yeah, you can do it, but it's probably the wrong choice to do it with that programming language. It's a famous interviewing question. What's your favorite programming language? Uh, to which there is no real answer. But if someone says, yeah, it depends, but I'm most familiar with that, that means he has thought of, of, of you know, like programming and solving stuff with that. And other people that say, I do everything with JavaScript, that's okay. But then you probably haven't thought at all. 
Yeah, I'm totally against the idea of being married to any one particular tool. I think, you know, uh, there's always going to be the right tool for the job. And that might not necessarily be JavaScript. That might not necessarily be uh, QGIS or ArcGIS, you know, but we can take our knowledge and apply it to different tools. At least that's what I'm hoping that where we're going as, as a geospatial community. If I wanted to get out there and get started with JavaScript and open layers today, do I need a server? Do I need to, to run, you know, a, a huge sort of environment just to get going? No, you don't. Well, in order to get started, you basically just need your browser. And a browser, every computer has a browser. So you basically need nothing at all. So you just open some page somewhere. Then you hit F12. That's that famous uh, key on your keyboard that opens up the console in any browser that I know of. And then you get some small blinking cursor and then you can put in JavaScript commands there and they get executed on that web page. But very soon you'll learn I want to have a bit better programming environment and then you'll be happy again because the programming environment around JavaScript is really, really cool. There are a ton of nice editors or IDEs. Well, I currently recommend uh, Virtual Visual Studio Code. Uh, that's a very nice thing, which helps you with code completion. It uh, also helps you with, you know, like committing stuff to Git. But, you know, these are already uh, advanced things that you have to tackle. But sooner or later, you will want to do it. Um, otherwise, you will be just playing around and not, you know, become a real programmer. JavaScript is very easy to start with. Well, both to understand and also, you know, like the technical stuff around, you don't need any compiler at first. Uh, well, later on, you'll probably want one. You don't need, like, you don't need to read some big book. There's probably five minute, five minute JavaScript courses out there and they will help you get the job done. But then you'll get thirsty, of course, for more, for more professional JavaScript. Oh, I said that earlier. It had that in the beginning, that toy language feeling around it, JavaScript. And that's probably because it's so easy to start with it. It's way easier than to, you know, write your first C program, for example. But that also leads to yeah, people doing only, you know, like small tasks with it and not creating the next operating system with it. But you can, of course, do it. But, but I think that's where it starts, right? It starts with those early and easy successes where people sort of get their get their feet wet, realize, yes, I can do this. And like you're saying, it leaves you thirsting for more. And, but I think those small steps is the, the, the way to learn something like uh, JavaScript and open layers. So again, thinking about getting started here, you mentioned a few tools that we could use and a, a few different ways we could get started. I know there is a, a ton of really cool examples on uh, open layers. If you go there, search for openlayers.examples, then, then you can find these examples and it shows the code as well. Uh, is there any sort of common mistakes that you see when people are using open layers that, that we could perhaps avoid when we get started? Well, um, there are some common mistakes. I actually did, did a talk once about that. Right now, when you use open layers in the intended way, that is a bit more involved than just opening F12 and hitting something in there. But if you have to have some sort of a building environment around you, which is totally familiar to everybody working with JavaScript, to be honest, but to complete newbies, it's probably a bit involved. And they'll start out with the full build. That's what we call the full build. So as I said, uh, Open Layers has a ton of um, functionality, visualization, uh, smaller parts analysis, and also, you know, like interactions with, with the data that you have. Um, of course, this adds up. So I, I don't even know how big the full build is. It's probably roughly, let's say, two or three megabytes, which is big. And in order to just create a map that has OpenStreetMap and some vector data, which 
let's say eight out of 10 maps on the map need. They do, probably don't need too much more. Uh, you don't need to load three uh, megabytes of open layers. So you, this is the same thing. Basically, it's the same story that we had earlier. So it, it's very easy to get started. Uh, so you load, load the open layers library into it and the CSS, and then you get started. But the map that you produce will look great, but it will load five seconds on your mobile device. And then people are already gone again from your web page and they will never ever use your web page. If you invest a little bit more time, as I said, it's very easy to do so because open layers placed by the rules uh, that are currently played by everybody uh, in, Java, in the JavaScript world. Um, then you can get a very tiny, small JavaScript build that contains all the parts of open layers that you need for your application, but it needs a bit of, you know, like setup. That's one thing that many people do wrong. And of course, the thing that everybody does wrong, including uh, all open layers core developers, um, they mix up LON and LUT. So... I still have to find some developer that hasn't done this on a regular basis. So these are two common, let's call them, well, the other one is something that not, well, it's an error that cannot really be circumvented. And the first one can be easily circumvented. I would say these are some common errors, well, or, or pitfalls. Mark, I really want to thank you for your time. I know it's late in the evening now, so I really appreciate your time. Uh, I've enjoyed learning more about open layers. It's something I've played with myself. And I think that the library is absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much for all your work that you've put into uh, extending and maintaining the library. It's much appreciated. Before I let you go, where, where can the listeners go if they want to reach out to you, if they want to learn more about open layers? Uh, is, is there somewhere specific where, where we could uh, send them? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And um, that thanks that you have addressed to, let's say, me. Uh, I would like to, to reach out to everybody that has contributed to Open Layers because there's a big community going around and my code contributions are, well, comparably small to other people being way more involved in the actual coding. Uh, so thanks from my side to all the contributors, small or big, and the people around it. Coming back to the question of where would people go to to reach out, so OpenLayers.org, that's the the main web page from there on everything is linked uh, as i already or as you said there's a i think nearly 300 examples showing all the different aspects of open layers there's a very uh, detailed api documentation for people that want to start programming with it because you need to know properties and, and methods that exist on the on the small building blocks of open layers and for questions with regard to open layers, it's a very good idea to, you know, like visit Stack Overflow, give it the tech open layers, and people re will reach out. And of course, there's also the traditional mailing lists to, you know, like get more involved where you can decide or discuss with people around approaches of solving your specific problems. So these are all linked from the openlayers.org website. And I would uh, really, really love to see more of you people come there and one final tip is probably also something that, that people sometimes get wrong. So open layers is big and huge and it can do a lot, a lot of stuff. But uh, I'm pretty sure that you, you, you are totally able to understand what it does. Just look at the source code. It's all there on GitHub. Look into the sources. Try to find something that you might want to address and, and enhance open an issue or send a pull request. We really, really appreciate anybody trying to help us yeah, make the best JavaScript library out there for mapping. Thanks again, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Daniel. 
Thanks very much for tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mark about open layers in, in JavaScript. And I, I think if you're looking to learn a language, um, have a look at JavaScript. I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes so you can click through to the Open Layers website and check it out for yourself. Um, as always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me for whatever reason. You can find me on social media. You can go to our website, mapscaping.com, um, and, and get a hold of me there. I, I would really love to hear from you. Okay, that's it from me. We'll talk again next week. Bye.